Insects are all around us. Many live right under our noses and are just waiting to be discovered. In spite of their small size, insects are among the most interesting and adaptable creatures on planet Earth. We have close encounters with them every day, whether we realize it or not. To most people, these creatures are just bugs. But to entomologist Dr. Tim Gibb, they are spineless wonders. And he's here to help you look beyond the bug to the fascinating life of the insect. Dr. Tim will see you now. I'm never the most popular guy in a store, except when I enter a bait or fly fishing shop. If I casually mention, even just in passing, that I'm a bug doctor or an entomologist, things change dramatically. I suddenly become everyone's best friend. The mere mention that I'm an entomologist catches attention. Conversations throughout the store stop and eyes swivel towards me. A fishing shop is one venue where I never have to explain what entomology is or defend what entomologists do. Every fly fisherman knows and reveres the word entomology. Not that I'm an expert at fly fishing. In fact, far from it. I'm really a novice and really don't get the chance to fish very often, but I'm immediately peppered with questions, most of which I have absolutely no answer for. I can't even make up an answer because I have so little expertise in the area of fly fishing. Questions like, what's hitting now? What is the best fly for the fill-in-the-blank river this week? Are duns active? What's currently hatching? How long will the emergence be? Or what do you recommend for first light casting tomorrow? They come fast one after another. Ironically, my truthful answer is, I really don't know, followed by aquatic insects are not my area of entomological expertise. I'm not a fly fisherman. This is only my second time fly fishing. But these never seem to be totally acceptable. I see knowing smiles and nods, but these are hardened people who know that really good fishermen would never disclose their fly of the week any more than they would disclose their favorite fishing hole. Nor would they expect another expert to just broadcast such information. Complete transparency is not expected. It's as if they bank on being brushed off. Once the initial curiosity of an entomologist in the store subsides and everyone goes back to their business, I notice that some still keep an eye on me and begin what I call the stalk. The stalk is usually the first step in a strategy of obtaining crucial information that is the lifeblood of successful fly fishing. Inevitably, one of them will casually corner me, put their arm around my shoulder, and say something like, Yeah, I get what you said over there. I'm a diehard fisherman just like you, but really, just give me a hint. What are the fish biting right now? 
your secret's safe with me. And if that does not yield any factual tidbits of information, at least one skeptical angler hanging out near the fly shop will try using empathy as a tool. My son drove from southeast Florida nonstop, alone, in an old junker car, just to be with me this weekend to try to catch his very first fish, which he plans to take back home to his destitute family for one last meal together before starvation hits. Sharing any helpful tip might just save his family. Of course, I do have sympathy, and after wiping a tear away, I divulge the honest truth. Okay, if it were me, I would thread half an earthworm on a regular fishing hook secured to the end of the line, add a sinker to the line just above that, and a bobber about three feet up from there. Try tossing it into an area of the river close to where you see others fishing, and keep your fingers crossed. This response almost always elicits laughter, backslapping and mirthful phrases such as, Oh, that's a good one. Although I don't know why. What little I do know about fly fishing came from my first entomology class in college. A collection including as many different insects as possible was required. Obtaining maximum numbers meant collecting from every possible insect habitat, and the aquatic habitat where fish feed is a rich one. Mayflies, caddisflies, stoneflies, and midges each represent completely different orders of aquatic insects, many different families, and many, many different species. Mayflies are the most commonly recognized. Adults have one pair of large upright wings with two small hind wings and resemble little sailboats floating in the current. Adults and nymphs both typically have three long conspicuous tails. At some locations and times, caddisflies are even more numerous. Adults lack tails and possess four hairy, equally sized wings carried tent-like over the back. Tailless, immature stages often form and live in tubular cases made of tiny sticks or grains of sand. Stoneflies are usually much larger. They have two distinct tails, prominent antennae, and adults have four long, shiny, and heavily veined wings that are held flat over the back when at rest. Midges are the only true flies of the group, having only two short wings and superficially resemble very small mosquitoes. The red, worm-like immature forms are thus referred to as bloodworms. Most every fly fisherman knows this, of course, but elite fly fishermen also know the entomology of each species, its unique behavior, biology, development, and timing, such as the all-important hatching. 
In fly fishing vernacular, hatching means discrete periods of mass emergences that in turn spark fish feeding frenzies. If a specific insect or even a life stage such as egg, larva, or pupa begins a hatch in one geographical area or even on one section of a river, the fish will go crazy hungry for it. Fish tend to have a one-track mind. Whatever insect and specific life stage is most active is what they bite, even though other food may be available. And having an artificial fly that precisely resembles that species and stage at that particular time is like finding the holy grail to a fly fisherman. Those who tie artificial flies know that mimicking or hatch-making is the name of the game. Fly tires use all manner of natural animal hairs, wool, cotton, foam, any of a variety of genuine or color-dyed feathers called hackles, threads of all different colors, tubing, tinsel, and all things that flash in the water are used to artificially mimic an insect in any of its stages. Then, with special waxes, glues, cements, vices, pliers, hooks and knots, they make any of a thousand different streamers, dry flies, eggs, nymphs, wet flies, and specialty pattern flies. Fly fishing is not for the faint of heart. Most insect hatches that cause fish feeding frenzies occur somewhat randomly and are hard to accurately predict and last for relatively short periods of time. Even with many flies on hand, successful fishermen must choose exactly the right fly and use the right presentation mode, either floating on top of the water rolling along the bottom of the stream, or submerged somewhere in between. Discovering what insect and life stage is currently attracting fish and then mimicking with an artificial fly spells either success or failure. When I walk into a bait shop, it's the multitude of various shapes, sizes, forms, and colors of flies for sale that intrigues me the most. I try to imagine if this artificial fly was wet and given to me as an insect diagnostician, how would I classify it? And to be honest, I'm stumped most times. And the names given to the fly sold in the fly shop, although interesting and somewhat comical, are of little help. Consider for yourself, what bona fide self-respecting insect would answer to the name wet woolly bugger, zonker, beaded woolly bugger, Mrs. Simpson, aggravator, green weenie, atomic worm, Viagra midge, epoxy buzzer, egg fly, Aquatic nuisance, thunder chicken, grease stain, flaming booby, or two of my personal favorites, 
the fly formerly known as Prince, and the Purdue Special. Note that this Purdue is spelled with an E, as in the chicken farmer, not with a U, as in Purdue University. I was also told that the person who tied this monstrosity used about a half of a chicken's worth of hackle on it. Discovering which fly is currently hot is of such value to local fishermen that if I walk over to the bins where artificial flies are stored and pick up a sparkly one tied with a feather of some kind, just out of curiosity, I notice that afterwards those same people quietly slip over and very secretively purchase a couple or three of that same exact hook. Such is a fly fisherman's third strategy to obtain essential fly fishing secrets. The sad thing is that the fly I examined was just chosen at random and could have been one of six zillion mass-produced by some warehouse in Singapore with no idea of what fish even occur in the local fishing stream. Obsessed fly fishermen are not easily put off by what they perceive as my reluctance to share fly knowledge. They persist, certain that I'm hiding knowledge that they would do anything to acquire. I've actually seen them sneak out of the shop to covertly inspect my truck and its contents. Yet another devious trick used by fishermen to purloin fly fishing secrets. Such hardcore fishermen distrust my honest answers until they see my gear. A pair of knee-high rubber boots, a $13 rod reel combo, and a cardboard shoebox containing my tackle, which if they were to peek inside they would discover just what I recommended earlier. A pack of naked bait hooks with leaders, some freshly dug earthworms in a can, a couple of old red and white bobbers and a sinker or two, and a rusty old green and black spinner hook that I once found lodged in a tree by the stream. Even so, they continue to regard me suspiciously as I leave the store after purchasing the candy bar and fountain drink, which was my only intention for stopping at the store from the beginning. This has been Dr. Tim with another Spineless Curiosity. Be sure to tune in again next month for another Spineless Wonder. Yeah.